Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. The leftist comedy podcast for everyone. I'm Kate Willett. And I'm Mohanad al And we are here this week with uh, a very special guest. Um, We were talking to Micah Herskind, who is an Atlanta-based organizer um, that has been working with Stop Cop City. And uh, we were going to talk to Micah about the most uh, horrible idea that I think we've ever heard of, Cop City, right, Mohanad? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I, I mean, we always thought cops were a bad idea, but cop city is a whole thing now they're just like yeah we even upgraded if we put them all in a city and they weren't allowed to leave that city like all the other cops exactly yeah i think every cop in america like yeah have one cop city put it somewhere on an island somewhere and have all the cops be there they can do fast they can do like their chases together they can shoot one another have fun you know but just away from everyone all right so let's let's start at the beginning and we've talked about it a little bit before but just what Micah what is Cop City yeah definitely well thanks for having me um Cop City is a plan put forward by the city of Atlanta and this really shady private nonprofit um called the Atlanta Police Foundation to take up to 381 acres of forest land in southeast Atlanta to destroy that land and to replace it with this massive police training facility known as Cop City. Um, the reason that organizers sort of rebranded it Cop City um, is that it literally includes a proposal for a mock city in it. So, you know, like a parking lot, a gas station, a school, a bank, literally like this sort of mock village where cops are going to, you know, train in their various urban warfare and repression tactics. Um, that's, yeah, that's, that's the big picture. Wow, that is really bad. And like where, I know... You know, where where are the plans for it now at this point? Like, I think they I read that they were like in a certain phase of like trying to get. I think the last thing I read was like some kind of environmental clearance or what's happening with it at this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the biggest recent development um, was that they were essentially granted um, the permits from the county in order to move forward with construction. Those permits have been appealed by a local community member who lives close to the site. Um, And so the permits are sort of actually in limbo right now. The police foundation has essentially said, we're going to keep moving forward anyway, because we don't believe in the law. Um, And they're the police foundation. (laughs) Um, So, you know, so they're still doing, I think, some minor construction. I think things are generally, though, have been slowed down by this appeal. Um, and the the sort of the appeal is going to be heard in April. Um, and that's when they'll make a decision on the permits. Um, but so, yeah, it's, it's like a little bit in limbo, a little bit delayed. I'll say that, um, you know, back in 2021, they said that the that the facility would be opening in 2023. And here we are in 2023. And they haven't even really started. So the movement has been really powerful. We love our we well, love good. Yeah. the community member using um, NIMBYism for good. We love it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Got to do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and how how much is this project supposed to cost? Like, is it like ninety million or like or like that's what I read? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ninety million dollars. Um, 
60 million would be coming from private sources. So there's, you know, a whole mess of corporations um, and foundations that are throwing money in to support Cop City. Um, and then 30 million is coming from the city itself. Um, and so, yeah, it's 90 million total. And I mean, it's, it's going to get more expensive. I'm sure it's already gotten more expensive because it's been so delayed by the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but 90 is sort of the official price tag. Man, that is a disgusting amount of money to spend on this. I mean, okay, this is going to seem, this is a question that I can certainly guess at the answer to, but would still love to hear you answer. Like, on what grounds do organizers and community members oppose this project? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's so many connections and so many intersections. I think that one of the reasons sort of this struggle to stop Cop City has gone so big is because it pulls together so many different threads. So there's obviously sort mm-hmm. of like the environmentalist angle of this is critical forest land. In 2017, the city of Atlanta itself called this forest land one of the four lungs of Atlanta. It you know prevents flooding. It brings temperatures down. Um, it's in a majority Black area of DeKalb County and has a really polluted river that runs through it. And so this would, you know, further pollute the river, this would tear mm-hmm. down this critical environmental source, you know, obviously just, you know, another example of environmental racism. Um, so yeah, there's the environmental angle. There's, of course, you know, the policing and human rights and civil rights angle where this is, you know, one year after, um, you know, in a mass movement, one of the largest, you know, nationwide uprisings mm-hmm. in history demanded defunding the police and investing in community safety. And here's Atlanta being like, actually, we're going to super invest in the police. Um, and so, you know, this has sort of brought together all the abolitionists and the anarchists um, and the various radicals. Um, but then, you know, there's there's also so many other connections. I mean, for one, like Georgia police partner with Israeli police forces. Um, and so, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's the angle of like, this is a Palestinian liberation issue. Um, there's the very basic, just like good and transparent governance issue where this entire process has, you know, been behind closed doors, Um, It's been Mm -hmm. super opposed by the community from the very beginning. So like, you know, there was a whole movement over the summer of 2021 that opposed it on so many grounds. And then on the day of the final um, council vote where they approved the plan, Mm -hmm. that meeting literally went two days because there were 17 hours of public comment with community members being like, don't build this. And then they just built it anyway, because the police foundation has so much power and so much influence. And so even like some more just like liberal types who maybe don't really care about policing and maybe even aren't all that concerned about the environment are just sort of like, uh, this is pretty bad if you want to talk about like democracy. Um, so yeah, there, mm-hmm. there's, there's a ton of different reasons that, you know, people have gotten involved. Wow. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, it's insane specifically what you brought up about like how this was only like one year after the defund the police movement. And mm-hmm. the thing is, it's just like, you still hear to this day how people are like, you know, especially on the right and stuff, they still claim that the police doesn't have enough money. And I'm just like, how much is enough? Like when you have like a whole city of like being right. built, it just doesn't make any sense. And also like the, the and, and I know you kind of touched on this a bit, but like who, I assume there are like a lot of people like who live near that area, like who mm-hmm. where they want to build Cop City. And what is the expectation here that these people just have to like live with the no like what what's mm-hmm. happened next to them or like? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so there's something 
sort of especially nefarious about this project because the mm-hmm. la- so this is this is public owned land. It's owned by the city of Atlanta, but it's outside yeah. of city limits. Um, mm-hmm. And so that means that the people in this area of this is unincorporated DeKalb County don't actually have any official channels to give their input. They're not represented by any city mm. council members or the mayor. They can't vote in the city. Oh, um, and so this I is yeah. It's literally an example of, you know, we're taking this land, the the city is leasing it to the police foundation for $10 a year for 50 years in order for the police foundation to build this massive site. Um, And yeah, you know, the people who live there have no real way of of giving any input. And I think that's by design, because when you when you have a project like this, that would happen in city limits, there's an entire process of community input and, you know, stakeholder input, all the things that you Mm -hmm. have to do. Which, you know, you can still power your way through, of course, but like there are at least some more barriers. But here you have like mm-hmm. a pretty explicitly disenfranchised community that like isn't even represented by the city, but is going to be, you know, completely um, beholden to their to their whims. I, I can imagine that throughout the very long oppositions to this project, um, you know, there have been uh, times where things felt better than others like what's what's the mood Mm. and the general sentiment now about you know where things are with the possibility of preventing Mm -hmm. this from going forward yeah um i think it's a lot of things um on one hand i'll say you know there's obviously been so much trauma and violence and escalation from the police Mm -hmm. i mean they literally murdered a protester in in january um and really like murdered in cold blood there was they after they after they killed portuguesa they came out being like this person shot at us first and of course they were misgendering them the whole time Mm -hmm. and you know this is this violent domestic terrorist because that's what they call everybody who's been defending the forest um and then body camera footage has come out not of the actual shooting because that doesn't exist, supposedly. Um, but body camera footage came out nearby where a cop literally speculates that the, the, the cop who was hit when they killed Tortuguita was actually hit by friendly fire and that, you know, Tortuguita never shot at them in the first place. Um, but, you know, it's just like, so, so on the one hand, yeah, so much trauma, so much violence um, and really sort of naked aggression by state forces. Um, but then on the other hand, I mean, there has been so much national and international attention on Atlanta and so much support has rolled in. The movement has, you know, grown so much in the last couple months. There's a huge week of action um, coming up mm-hmm. March 4th through March 11th. And so I think people are also, you know, in, in some ways energized and like ready to keep fighting and, um, you know, ready to make, you know, yeah, just keep making sure that this thing is not built. I'm going to be in Atlanta during that that Ooh. time, so hopefully I'll be able to to join you for some of those Definitely. actions. Um, so, like, I, I kind of want to go back to the funding of this for mm-hmm. a second. Um, what what the hell is going on with this police <laughs> nonprofit? Who's donating to it? Like, who are mm-hmm. the uh, people that are trying to make this happen financially. Right, right. Yeah, so there's a ton of essentially corporate backers of the Atlanta Police Foundation. A lot of them are big Atlanta and Georgia corporations. And then, you know, of course, just, you know, corporations that have branches here. But to name a few, there's Delta, Home Depot, um, Wells Fargo, Amazon, UPS, Waffle House. 
got in there. Damn, crushing. Um, waffle. Oh, I don't know if we can swear on. No, that. Waffle, waffle House. house. Okay, great. Fuck great. Waffle House. Fuck Waffle House. Um, you know, so wow. yeah, there's, there's a huge mix. There's Coca Cola in 2021 made this whole show of stepping off of the Atlanta Police Foundation board. But meanwhile, the Woodruff Foundation, which is all Coca-Cola money, has committed $13 million to the Atlanta Police Foundation. And so, you know, it's just, it's all this money splashing around and, you know, it's getting laundered through these foundations. But essentially, it's a ton of corporations that are, you know, many of which are Atlanta-based pouring into the Atlanta Police Foundation. Uh, one one that I'll note, one that I'll note is Norfolk Southern, who is responsible for um, the crash in Ohio, is also donating to Cop City. Like it's just you know all all connected. They're really oh, I'm glad they're, evil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm glad they're like they're uh, when it comes to the portfolio of evil, they're like really going out there, yeah. just like and everything. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, just making sure. Yeah, I just I the, just the idea of Waffle House though. I'm just like I think they can just have their employees truly just keep like uh, you know peace in the city. Like they're able to do so. Those... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Abolish the police and give exactly. Money to Waffle House. Yeah, exactly. You just give money, like, or they just use their own money to let their employees just keep peace around. Like they yeah. can. They've seen stuff. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they could have just kept making waffles, and instead, here they are funding the police foundation. Hey, this might sound like a, you know, a dumb question, but like, what, like, what is the corporate motivation for giving so much money to the police? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question, and I feel like there's so many answers. I think that like the broadest answer is that corporations recognize that policing is central to the protection of capital and really to sort of the maintenance of the status quo Mm -hmm. that allows them to accumulate and hoard wealth. Um, And I think that that's like, that's like the big picture answer. You know, Atlanta has been a site of so much rapid development and gentrification and displacement of, you know, working class and black communities, especially, you know, legacy black communities. Um, and Absolutely. I think, you know, police are key to facilitating that process. Um, and, you know, you know, I think that that's like the, the, the big picture view of sort of corporations stake in mm-hmm. Cop City is that they want to, you know, keep pouring money into the police force that essentially protects the conditions that, you know, allow them to hoard so much wealth. I mean, it's just, I'm thinking about something you said earlier, you know, just like the the wildly cheap price that um, they're, the police are going to be leasing this land for. And I know that mm-hmm. uh, many folks were trying to uh, lobby for affordable housing on this site. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would have been ideal if the land is that cheap, you know, it's like just kind of thinking about, you know, gentrification and all the displacement that's happening. I mean, like... It, assuming it was environmentally sustainable, seems like that land could have housed so many people who need homes. Yeah, I mean, I think the real thing is that like it's like it's forest land that should really stay forest land, and you know, it's like yeah. so it's so critical. The, the city in 2017 had already like essentially approved a resolution that would incorporate mm-hmm. it into this broader stretch of parkland, and so like the plan was to have it be part of this huge, you know, park stretch. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the police got involved and completely changed it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely related to the housing 
you know, crisis and the gentrification crisis. And, you know, Atlanta just returned something like $10 million in COVID funds that could have gone to to housing. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like comically evil, the extent to which they are, you know, displacing people and cutting every sort of social service while expanding policing. I mean, I'm thinking about what you said is like, you know, capital understands that they're, you know, the police are, are essential in it, basically capital uh, maintaining right. its power. It's right. frustrating mm-hmm. to me sometimes that there's like even a debate on the left about that, you know, like, right. I mean, to me, it's just, a, it's just a, an utter no brainer that armed, you know, armed gangs basically that are, right. you know, uh, exist to like, protect capital are, are not a good thing for really any leftist goal, you know? Right. You don't, you don't and I think have... that's, yeah, Go ahead, I feel like that's the thing too, where, you know, like there are, there are people who are coming to this from a lot of different angles and, you know, you have some of the more just sort of like liberal environmental groups that are like, don't cut down the forest, you know, which is like mm-hmm. a totally valid angle. And also yeah. I, I want to believe that in some ways this, has been radicalizing to people who are like, oh, when we try to like ensure basic livability or like our basic ability to to live in this on this earth going forward, who is it that shows up to like quash those protests? It's the police. And so I think that there's something really sort of instructive about what's happening with the cop city struggle um, that shows, you know, no matter what your cause is, you know, whether it's reproductive justice, housing justice, land back, you know, and environmental, whatever it is, like police are going to be there to shut it down. Um, And so, you know, I hope that one lesson people take from this is like, there's no path to justice that does not take on police power. Mm -hmm. And is, is, is this something that like the idea for Cop City, is this something like, I assume obviously it's new here to the US, but has this been done somewhere else in the world? And, or was this just some genius who was just like, yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna do this? No, totally. It's 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 definitely one of those things where, you know, cities are always in the same way that like I think our movements are often connected across cities. Mm-hmm. Like political leadership is also taking cues from each other. So in twenty seventeen, Chicago approved what organizers called Cop Academy. Um and they had this incredible mm. no cop academy campaign. But but that, you know, the plans for that when it's sort of in the process of being built now includes also a mock city in it. Um and right now, and, and I'll say, I think in the early 2000s, um, Israel built um, this, you know, police training facility that they refer to as Little Gaza. And it's a place that they literally train in, in various repression tactics. Right now, there's plans for new bases in Texas, Hawaii. They're trying to um, double the size of the current National Guard base in Michigan. And, you know, of course, we know the National Guard is called in when there's major protests. And so this mm-hmm. is really sort of, you know, an all out frontal assault in terms of them sort of watching the uprisings, watching, you know, continual unrest and saying like, well, we're going to, you know, train up and continually expand our capacity to repress movement. You mentioned earlier that uh, the Atlanta Police Department is um working with Israeli forces like you know aside from multiple cop cities uh bouncing ideas off each other um what is what does that collaboration look like so it's called so it's it's actually 
it's like Georgia police forces called the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange or the Gilly program. Um, and it's been around for a couple decades now. And it essentially brings, you know, these various um, police agencies together and, you know, they exchange tactics, they, you know, train each other. Of course, there's this whole like, it's, it's honestly pretty, It it's the, the fact that, you know, obviously folks in Palestine are referred to as terrorists and, mm-hmm. you know, now here folks in the Stop Cop City movement are referred to as domestic terrorists and 19 people have been charged with domestic terrorism. It really shows sort of the connections between these forces and sort of what, what their strategy is for, you know, how, how they repress the movement, because of course it's a lot easier to march into the forest as a police force and kill a protester mm-hmm. after you've labeled them a domestic terrorist, you know, and exactly you know, like yeah. that, that happens everywhere. And there are people that have been living in the forest for like a couple years now. Yeah. Like living there full time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since really like late 2021, early 2022, um, people mm-hmm. had been living in the forest, defending it. Um, after wow. the the raids in December 2022 and January 23, um, I think at that point people had been cleared out. Um, I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a super decentralized, dispersed movement, so it's possible that you know people are are back in there. But the sort of the, they really picked up their raids um, on the forest in order to try to clear people out. Mm-hmm. Like how are how are the organizers um, like taking care of themselves and each other emotionally and, and physically? Cause this just sounds amazingly difficult and traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we're trying to make space for, you know, all forms of community care and self care. And so even, you know, even during the week of action that's upcoming, there's going to be, you know, actions and protests and rallies. Um, but there's also going to be like, I think there's like an acupuncture event and, you know, a community, you know, mm-hmm. various like grief sessions and just, you know, I think people yeah. are trying to make space for everybody to, you know, tap into their emotions, experience what's going on, you know, collectively course, yeah. express grief and outrage. And so I think that, you know, that's one of the ways people are trying to hold it together i mean i'm just you know i'm i'm just struck by like what a set of like formidable opponents this is to to take on you know all of these corporations all of you know i mean the <laughs> city of atlanta the um mm-hmm. you know i mean just the, the police like it's it's it just seems like it's very much like you made a list of like all the potential bad guys and <laughs> put them on right. there. Yeah. Right. This, 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 I think is a place where like an analysis of like the ruling class is particularly useful because we have, you know, at the local level, Atlanta is a city run by Democrats, you know, like we, it's our yeah. democratic mayor, Andre Dickens. It's, you know, our city council, all Demo- you know, so it's, you know, this very quote unquote liberal city, that is working very closely with the state government, which, you know, everyone in the election cycle, when they wanted Georgia voters, they just spent the whole election cycle calling the Republicans, you know, crazy right wingers who are so dangerous, Um, you know, and then meanwhile, they're all collaborating to take on this movement. And then you have all the corporations involved, you have all the contractors involved. And so, you know, of course, 
the Democratic Party looks to Georgia and Georgia voters to like save it from the Republicans. But then when people, you know, try to stop what's happening locally, it's just a total team up between the Democrats and the Republicans. I, I know you've been involved in like um, abolition for a while. At least I've seen that on Twitter. Like, in 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 has this experience like changed anything about your understanding like in what way have like your your own personal politics been Mm -hmm. altered as a result of working on this yeah um i think i still have more reflecting to do but i will say i think one of the most powerful sort of lessons that i'm taking away from this is sort of the, I think I think it's really challenged my idea of what campaigns and movements can look like. And so I think, you know, mm-hmm. I think the, one of the ways I learned organizing was like, you have sets of organizations that, you know, build a coalition, identify their targets, you know, and, you know, build a strategy, essentially. Um, and of course, there's so, you know, there are organizations involved, there are, you know, various forms of coordination involved. Um, but the structure of this movement has really just been so wide ranging and really explicitly and intentionally decentralized and autonomous. So there are people with organizations, but then there are, you know, autonomous organizers and individuals and, you know, people who are coordinating with each other or in collectives. Um, and so I think it's really, it's really um, taught me a lot about just what, what different movements can look like. And I think that mm-hmm. a major reason that the movement has been so powerful is that it's been so hard to pin down by sort of like the forces of COINTELPRO and, you know, various, um, you know, surveillance apparatuses, if that's the word, um, because, you know, it's, it's just this really sort of flexible, um, wide ranging mm-hmm. movement that has everyone from like the people in the forest who are, you know, doing direct action, defending it to like preschoolers in Southeast Atlanta who are leading marches, holding posters saying, don't cut down the trees. I love you trees. You know, so it's just like, so hmm. wide ranging and beautiful. I love the idea of like a like Sierra Club type liberal just like starting out like to protect the trees and just like coming out of this like the most <laughs> hardcore communist. Yes. <laughs> just yes. like an ardent. Yes. <laughs> just, yeah. Just like wow. Radicalizing uh, people. Yeah, just that whole process of like, wait, maybe the Democratic Party isn't good, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like you look and domestic terrorist Andre Dickens, you know, like our our liberal Atlanta mayor who's trying to get the DNC to come here in 2024. Like it is Mm -hmm. like like the main antagonist of this story is like the Atlanta Democrats. And so I like I want to believe that there's something really deeply, um, you know, radicalizing about that for people. What is I it mean, like? As a child, yeah. Yeah, like I mean, it's, it is just so funny because it's like I can imagine being someone that's organizing, like in Atlanta. Like you know, there has been so much national focus on Georgia, and like Stacey Abrams in particular. <laughs> as I mean, has <laughs> has she commented on any of this stuff at all? Nothing. Nothing. No, and I mean this. This is another thing where, like, so even the politicians who aren't who aren't who aren't like explicitly vocally supporting it you know the ones who might think of themselves as like the good democratic politicians for the most part have been completely silent like literally police marched into a forest and murdered someone and it took like three weeks 
for like the most liberal state lawmakers to put out this wishy-washy statement being like, uh, we need, you know, to all think carefully about this, you know, just like completely lackluster, completely useless. You know, yeah. yes, e- even like the the ones who would think of themselves as more liberal, including including council members who in 2022 campaigned on the campaign trail against Cop City are now completely silent. Like it's you know, it's it's just it's an amazing lesson in how sort of the political machine just eats up anybody's, you know, supposedly radical or good intentions. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, like even like most recently at the state of the union speech where, you know, Biden had the parents of uh, the, the person who was killed by the Memphis police. And, you know, they had like this whole like, you know, uh, this is bad and uh, we're reflecting on it and all of that stuff. And then literally immediately two minutes after that talked about like how we should give the police more money and how we should like with the parents sitting there and people just clapping right. for him. I'm like, these people are just right. like desensitized at this point. Like they don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, there's, there's no limit to what they think police deserve somehow. Yeah, it's absolutely horrible. And, you know, I, I have been very disappointed, um, like, you know, aside from the perpetually disappointing Democratic Party, I have been disappointed by just like seeing how far um, people's just individual people, pundits, you know, but just regular, regular ass people um, have, for the most part, liberals and even leftists um, really sort of like backed off the demand to defund and mm-hmm. even hear um, people like uh, some common common sentiments that, I, that I've seen expressed are uh, defund is a bad slogan. Um, working mm-hmm. class people actually want police. Um, you know, uh, crime is going up, um, right. which I mean, there's it's it's kind of yep. not. But anyway, aside from that, like, <laughs> uh what are you don't let don't let facts get in the way <laughs> yeah i mean it, it looks like i looked at i don't know what it is in every study but yeah i i looked at like the actual crime numbers in new york and like what has gone up is like theft a little bit um and i mean it stands to reason that you know as like things have just gotten more difficult economically in the pandemic there's people who need to steal some stuff in order to have what they need yeah. to live. I mean, that to me, yeah. it's like, that That seems like the most obvious explanation. I guess what I'm asking here uh, in the most long-winded way possible is like, I don't know, how are you like responding to like, let's say, you know, the, the well-intentioned person, the good faith person who is like unsure if um, defunding the police is is still a good way to to go forward um, or still a good goal. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think that some, I think it depends on like someone who genuinely wants to like, you know, piece through that or not. And I think if you are, one of the things that I think a lot of us talk about with people is like, okay, let's just look at our current system. Police, you know, police forces in in many cities get anywhere between 30 to 50% of the municipal budget. And in the midst of that, with most of our funding going to police, people are still talking about how nobody feels safe and how crime is out of control. And so if police were doing a good job at keeping people safe, 
you would think that, you know, that all of that money would be paying off in some way. But instead, here we are. And, you know, to, to take Atlanta as an example, just this past year, one of our only level one trauma centers was closed. They closed, you know, they've been on a, on a tear of closing homeless shelters for the last, you know, two decades with one of the biggest closures happening in 2017. Just like every form of social safety net is being torn apart while more money is being given to police. And here everyone is talking about how no one feels safe. And so I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, the fact that people talk about not feeling safe and crime, you know, being out of control is the best argument for abolition. <laughs> because, you know, if, 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 if police kept people safe, every, you know, everyone would feel safe. We'd have the safest country in the world. Um, I think the other, the other piece of the conversation that, you know, maybe a little bit more heady, I don't know, is that, you know, all, all of this narrative work, you know, the, the huge backlash post uprisings where suddenly every single media headline was crime is out of control, you know, defund was such a mistake, defund has made our city so dangerous, um, you know, is all happening within a corporate media ecosystem that is owned by the corporations who benefit from policing. And so, you know, again, to give a really, you know, explicit example in Atlanta, our main media outlet, our paper of record is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the AJC. And the AJC is owned by Cox Enterprises. And the CEO of Cox Enterprises is leading the $60 million fundraising campaign for Cop City. And so literally the people who are fundraising for Cop City, their foundation has also committed like $10 million to the police foundation. They're the ones who own the media. And so of course the media is putting out all these stories about how everything is so dangerous and we need to build Cop City. Um, so yeah, I think I think that there's a lot of a lot of roads to go down. And again, I know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like people don't realize these things. Yeah, like they hear the media, I'm like, okay, who funds it? Like, and it was just like, it's literally like saying Cop City media thinks Cop City is a good idea. And I'm like, yeah. Right. No shit. Right. Go yeah. figure. Exactly. And it's funny, like, even, like, even hear about, like, you know, the uptick in crime in New York and all of that stuff. But, like, I feel like crime is such a broad, like, word that's being used for, like, everything. Because, like, people imagine crime as, like, you know, people being stabbed and shot and all of that stuff. And then you look up the stats and I'm just like, so many people are not paying for the subway. And I'm just like, is that the crime we're, we're talking about? Because right. that's fine with me, I think. Uh, but yeah, the way it's being like described, you, you, I literally like have like even like not you know like people like more like more like on the left side like you who've never been to New York and they're like you, you hear them talk about New York City and you think it's it's hell like people just being stabbed left and right and I'm just like I don't know I mean there is crime because there's eight million people here but it's mostly fine. I, there's this weird thing that has been happening recently. I don't know, maybe it's been going on for a while, but like even this idea of like feeling safe, there's something about it where it's like this sort of idea that it's fine in a lot of situations um, that you get to sort of like identify how you want to. Like I feel bisexual, therefore I am bisexual. Like, but that doesn't people are sort of like applying that to to safety and like actually like how uh they don't feel safe like despite the fact that they're 
is a very little violent crime happening. The police are, are not uh, preventing it or even doing anything about it when it does in most cases. And, and like just the idea that the data should not matter at all, that what actually happens in real life with policing should not matter at all, that it's like that you can just identify as unsafe in the same way that you can identify uh, as as a as a bi lady, for example. It's ridiculous. Right, right. And I think there's two things going on there where like, and, it, you know, it's playing out so clearly in Atlanta where you have the northeast side of town, which is, you know, super white and super wealthy and has literally like, I don't you know, I don't place much stock in crime rates anyway. But this area literally has the lowest crime rates in the city. And they are like the mm-hmm. main constituency talking about how crime is so out of control and, you know, we need to crack down and build cop city. And so you have like, you know, one side of super rich white people saying, you know, you're really just pushing sort of these very racialized crime narratives. But then Mm -hmm. you also do have people in super disinvested areas saying we don't feel safe. And that's, you know, of course, because they have been completely abandoned by the state and sort of left to fend for themselves, Mm -hmm. evictions left and right, police violence left and right, you know, no sorts of supports or social support. And so it's this, you know, it's this thing where like, a lot of people are not safe because of complete abandonment by the state. And then the people who are the safest are the ones who talk most about how who who mobilize these sort of racialized crime narratives. I mean, I I think a lot in general, or at least have for the past, I don't know, year or so, like about there's this weird thing that's happening in media. And I see a lot of it on Twitter um, where people are going to are trying to kind of rebrand like gentrification as good you know that it's like I, I mean we've had various cycles of that uh but there's a new one um particularly related to um the idea that like you know adding um adding like market rate housing even very expensive housing is always like an unequivocal good like there's no complication Mm -hmm. about it it's good it's it's good that's what makes the prices go down and you know of course those people those developers those banks they do run up against people who are trying to organize against eviction displacement gentrification so there is this kind of rebrands of gentrification that's happening even on the left that I see. And Mm. I think one thing among many things that bothers me about that is, you know, that there's very much an attempt to erase what seems to me to be an inherent connection between gentrification and policing that at least Mm. in this current incarnation of our, of our world is not, you can't (laughs) separate those two things. It seems like they're, always going together is i mean and it seems like what's happening in atlanta is very much uh in line with that yeah absolutely i mean there there was this story that came out a couple years ago um where it was literally a former the, the title was the cop who quit instead of helping to gentrify atlanta um and it's basically this former cop who sort of realized who, who is given these pretty explicit orders of hey we want to redevelop this area so like go and give people a bunch of tickets so that they have criminal records so that they can be evicted from their homes. Like just like a super explicit connection where it's like policing, police 
soldiers of gentrification. Like that is, you know, one of criminalization is one of the main ways that people, you know, if, if they're not priced out, then they're criminalized out. And so, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I feel like for the left, keeping the connection between policing and gentrification is so crucial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lana, do you have any other questions? No, this this has been very informative, to be honest. Yeah, this has been a very informative conversation. Um, thank you so much, Micah. Is there a place that people can find out about the week of action? Yes. Um, yeah. If you go to stopcopcitysolidarity.org, um, it has a ton of information on what's happening this week. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether you can come to Atlanta or you know, if you want to support from afar, there's a ton of ways to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then defendtheatlantaforest.org is another great site that has um, like a toolkit, a bunch of media stuff, a calendar with sort of the events of the week of action. Um, yeah, so those are, those are two great places to go. And where can people find you on Twitter? <laughs> um, I am at Micah in ATL, M-I-C-A-H in ATL. Thank you so much for coming on Reply, guys. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Muhannad Al-Sheikhi. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song is performed by Emily Fremgen and written by Emily with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's, and I am at Mohanad al And Twitter is where you can find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.